Okay. Um, you might recall that we started off 2021 talking about rest and about learning to rest in different ways and, and do different things. And um, Paul gave this brilliant word at the beginning of the year, and one of the things he said was this. During this next year, so as in this year, I believe each of us will have to enter into rest in a whole new dimension. We have to learn to rest in him, be in him, and live in and out of him, find our source in him. We have to find the rest of faith and lean our head on the pillow in the midst of the windstorm. And um, so I, I kind of... <laughs> uh, you might remember as well that at the end of 2020, I shared that I felt like I, I went away and took some time out and felt like God said to me that I needed to slow down to speed up. And... Um, I knew when he said it, he meant I needed to make more space, more room in the margins, more time in the diary that was not booked out, no more meeting, 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 rushing from one thing to another, more space, more time to reflect, to ponder, to listen, all that sort of stuff, uh, which I have done my best to do when I have uh, reaped the rewards, I've got to say, it's been wonderful. But I want to go back to this passage from where this word that Paul shared came from in Mark chapter 4. Because it just keeps bringing life to me and I keep seeing new things in it. Uh, so let's just, let me just read it to you first of all. Later that day after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the side of the lake. After they had sent the crowd away, they shoved off from shore with him as he had been teaching from the boat. And there were other boats that sailed with them. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they shook him awake, saying, Teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to die? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm, shouted at the sea, Hush, calm down. All at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Uh, I have a gift of sleep. I can sleep pretty much anywhere. Cars, aeroplanes, boats, airports, my office. Kids could be playing when they were little and I'd fall asleep, like much to the upset of people around me and much to the upset of people who thought I was meant to be looking after them. But anyways, um, uh, I particularly seem to enjoy little naps in the late afternoon these days. Maybe it's getting older, I'm not sure, but... And, uh, but, uh, well, I don't know, you, you walk into my lounge about five, half past five, you'll probably find me with a book kind of collapsed on me. Uh, it's not a, not a unique occurrence, is it? Um, it seems, though, that Jesus takes sleep into a whole other level. Uh, because Jesus was calmly sleeping in the midst of a most ferocious storm. Now, Lots of people are focused on the rest of the story when he moves in faith, commands the wind and waves to die down, and they do. And we're told that the disciples were in awe of Jesus. But as I've meditated on this story a lot this year, I've come to the realization that although the calming of the stormy waters was indeed awesome, I am more in awe of a man who can sleep calmly in the middle of a ferocious storm. I find that, as I've, as I've pondered it more, I'm more in awe of a man who can sleep calmly in a ferocious storm in a small boat which is swamped with water. And that's probably because 
I guess I've learned a little bit about speaking to storms and seeing them stilled. I've learned a lot less about calmly sleeping while storms going all around me. But I'm in awe of a man that can do that. And what I find most interesting is that Jesus was sleeping calmly first, and then he spoke to the storm. Jesus was in a place where he was so at rest and at peace that despite the storm, he could sleep calmly. And this physical storm in the story is a metaphor for the storms in our lives. All the things in your life and my life that make us feel like we're swamped, like we're about to drown. All the things that make us feel like we just can't keep our head above water. It's the, it's the violent winds of anxiety. It's the crashing waves of disappointment. It's the crushing power of rejection, the gales of fear, the torrential rain of failure. It's all those things that this story talks about. Because this is not just a nice story about Jesus taking a boat trip. This is a story about stilling the storms of life and how we can do the same. This story gives us patterns and principles to follow in how we calm storms in our lives and in other people's lives. But we've got to watch carefully because we often get it the wrong, wrong way around. We want the storm on the outside to calm down so we can sleep and get a rest and a break. We go, when this storm out here ceases... I'll get a good night's sleep. But the pattern Jesus says is, no, you learn to get a good night's sleep so that you can calm the storm on the outside. Jesus is resting, and then he quells the storm. So we want the storm on the outside to calm down so we can get a break, but Jesus is resting, and then he quells the storm. And by outside, I mean all the things that are external to us, jobs, finance, friendship, relationship, possessions, all the things that are external to us. But Jesus shows us this key that learning, learning to rest from the inside so you can quell the storms on the outside. Resting your head on the pillow and then speaking to the storm outside. You see, Jesus had quieted any storms on the inside of him, which meant he could quieten the storms on the outside of him. Because the truth is, you won't calm any storm on the outside unless you've spent time resting in Jesus, calming the storm on the inside. But we still get caught up on calming the storms outside of us, putting all our effort, energy, prayer, uh, thought, in getting everything out on the outside right. But unless you calm the storms on the inside of you, you will always live in a storm. That's the reality. What you get a lot of time is people trying to calm a storm with a storm. But that don't work. You take two people who are both upset at each other and they start talking. I know it's never happened in your life, but um, you get these two people and they've, they've had a bit of a fallout and they come together and they're both in storm. What does it generate? Just a bigger storm. When does calm some? When somebody steps back and stops operating from the storm and goes, okay, let's take a break. Let's have a rest. When somebody brings calm, calm comes. When two people with storms come, it just brings a bigger storm. Creates more hassle, more difficulty, more challenge. More things get said that shouldn't have been said. More pain gets caused. Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over at the other side of the lake. So this whole story is about going somewhere different. It's about crossing over to the other side. And Jesus always wants to take you somewhere new. He's always looking to take you somewhere else. But it's very, very rarely a comfortable journey. Notice they set off after it grew dark. After they grew dark. Which wouldn't have been a big deal for the fishermen of the disciples because they'd have been used to being on the lake in the dark. But I'm fascinated that this little detail is left in. 
See, whenever Jesus takes us somewhere new, it often feels dark somehow. In the sense that it's not often fun or full of delight and joy. But they're going to make a journey to somewhere new, but it's a journey in the dark. Listen, the most transformative journeys nearly always take place in the dark. They nearly always take place in what feels like a dark and lonely place. Of course, we don't like dark and lonely places, but in truth, those are almost always the places of our greatest breakthroughs. Always. What we find really tough, though, is when a dark place turns into an even darker place, like it did for the disciples when the storm arrived. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves crashing at the boat until it was all but swamped. So it's already dark. It's already difficult. It's already challenging. And it seems now there's a great storm. So it's already dark. It's already difficult and great. Now there's a whack-off storm coming. Fantastic. This is called life. We cannot control the storms on the outside of us. We can't control our financial situation, our housing situation, our work situation, relationships. In truth, we can't control as much as we like to think we can. You just cannot do it. I know walking into work one day and being told to go to a hotel and given an envelope and being told to go home. I, I had no idea that morning I was going to get made redundant at 20 odd. I just thought, well, I'm going to work. It's going to be fine. You can't control what goes on. You don't know what's going to happen the next morning when you wake up. You can't control it as much as you want to. Life is not very secure. But Jesus actually made it really clear that it would not be very secure. Everything I've taught you is so the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Or in my version of it, I have come to heal the internal storm, because there will always be external storms. I have come so you can live through every external storm by giving you peace on the inside. He does not offer to take away all trouble and sorrow, pain and hardship. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus is going to take it all away. No, he's not. He just said right here. You will experience trouble and sorrow, the words of Jesus. Isn't it encouraging this morning? Aren't you blessed? (laughs) It's just the words of Jesus. But what is an offer is a peace so out of this world that you can sleep calmly in the midst of the most ferocious storm. And that's why Jesus is worth getting. Because everybody has the storms. Not everybody can even think about sleeping calmly in the storms. What is primarily on offer from Jesus is not the calming of every external storm, but the calming of every internal storm. You see, we live with these frankly ridiculous ideas that if only God would sort this issue out, then all our trouble would be gone. Stop living in fantasy land. The solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. But we'll get back to that at the end. The only solution to your problem is to come to a place where the peace which is in Jesus is in you, and you experience the great confidence as you rest in Jesus. You see, you can control your internal life. You can control the storms on the inside of you. This is what the kingdom life is all about. And we get there by a thing we call discipleship. Discipleship is not having a chat about the external storms and looking for solutions to the external storms. It's not about sharing about money or relationships or jobs or children. That's not really discipleship because they're all external storms. Discipleship is about our internal storms. 
It's about our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities, our worries, our doubts, our pride, our ego, our arrogance. Maybe we could say this, discipleship is about calming the floods of fear, the typhoons of trepidation, the rivers of rejection, the tsunamis of terror, the avalanches of arrogance, the blizzards of brokenness, the fires of failure. That is what it means to be discipled. If we are simply sharing about all the external storms, we are no different than any other self-help group chatting about life and offering our advice and experience. Which is good, but it ain't discipleship. It's a pale imitation of what is available in Jesus and the kingdom of God. What sets the kingdom apart? What makes it unique? Is that we can have our internal storms quelled so that no matter what external storms suddenly appears, even when we're already in the dark and a ferocious storm comes up, even then, we no longer need to be terrified, but we can sleep calmly as Jesus was. Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they shook him awake. Teacher, don't you even care we're about today? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm. Shall we to the sea? Hush, calm down. All at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. We're going to get back to the calmly sleeping a bit later. But for now, I want, I want to walk through how Jesus calmed the external storm. Because in these, in these little three steps, you see how you meant to calm a storm. First of all, it says this, that he was fully awake. That's fully awake. So the first thing you've got to be is fully awake to what the heck's going on. You've got to actually wake up to the fact that there are some storms on the inside of you and become aware of them. You cannot calm a storm if you are unaware of it. You can't do anything about something you are unaware of. First of all, you have to become aware of the storms that rage within us. Fully aware of them. Aware of our doubts and our fears. Our pride and our arrogance, our lusts and our loathings. And we work towards a place where we accept them as storms within us. First, we've got to become fully awake. Of course, it's, we think it's easier to stay asleep. We think it's easier to pretend they're not there. Because if they're not there, we don't have to deal with them. Yeah, but they're dealing with you. Because it's a storm on the inside of you. It already is dealing with you. It's already there. Then he rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, Hush, calm down. He actually spoke to it. But here's the thing. He could speak to it because he was in a place of calm. It's very difficult for you on your own to calm your internal storms because we've already seen that storms, speaking of storms, generate more storms. The way storms can be seized is by some calm speaking to them, which is why we need each other. This is why we need to share and journey with somebody who can speak some calm into our storm. It's why you can't do it on your own. It's why discipleship is so important. Of course, the more calm you find in your own life, the easier it is to speak to the storms that remain. But you may well still need people to help you identify what they are and go about how to go about calming them down. Eventually, you may well get to a point where you can identify the storms in you have enough calm in the rest of you to speak to them and find release. But most people are not in that place yet. And even when you get to that place, it doesn't mean you don't need anybody. Because by that time, you've got to such a point where you develop such wonderful relationships, you'll never want to give them up. All at once, the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. The wind and waves listened because he created them in the first place. They knew his voice and they obeyed his instruction. You see, when somebody comes along and speaks to the storm in us, it's really important we do what the wind and the waves did. We listen. 
We listen to those calm words that are spoken to us and receive them into our hearts. We've got to choose to listen, choose to receive them. It's only as we do that we have any chance of the storm being stilled. Because while, while somebody speaks calm and stillness to you, if you're just going to go, no, you know, that, that song this morning, it was beautiful, that belovedness song. But listen, the only way to receive it is when you go, thank you, Jesus. I agree. Even though everything inside shouts the opposite. But you've got to receive it. And as you do, peace starts to flow over you. But all the time you go, well, that's not for me. And it's not possible and I can't have it. Well, unfortunately, Jesus can't do very much. Listen, to grow up in the Christian faith is to know what it is for the storms in your heart to be stilled. That's what it means to grow up. It means the storms in your heart are getting stilled. And it's always been important, but I think as we move forward, it's going to be even more important. You see, in most of the other translations, when the disciples get in the boat, uh, it says this. Uh, what does it say? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Just as he was. It's a really interesting turn of phrase. How else can you take somebody other than as they are? But of course, we've got to take him as he is, not as we want him to be. We've got to be careful we don't take him in our image and in the image of the one we would like him to be, but actually as he is. Because as he is, he's often not what you would like him to be. As he is means he often challenges our conceptions and ideas about what we think is possible or even what we think is right and wrong. You see, everybody wants Jesus to turn up and Holy Spirit to do incredible things, but what they forget is that that often brings a mess. No, really, think about it. Just think about this for a moment. It's really important. See, what nature tells us is when something new gets birthed, it's messy. Isn't it? It's messy. Something new coming along creates a mess. It's far from clean and tidy, and it's very rarely straightforward. On the contrary, it's messy and uncertain and challenging. And I believe we're entering into this new era and there's a new wave of good things already flowing and that's going to continue to flow. But that flow will inevitably mean it might look a bit messy, some surprises, some shocks on the journey, some mess we have to work out what to do with. This was normal for Jesus. Think about it. Think about the mess he left behind, if I can put it that way. He healed people whose only income was from begging, but now they couldn't beg because they were healed. But some of them were ill from birth. They had no skills, no qualifications, no talents, nothing. What were what they going to do? What, what a mess he left behind. And he just healed them, walked off. Well, because one, solving one problem just created another problem. What about all his friends who didn't get healed? I mean, what a mess there. What about his friends and family who were not healed? What, about his, what, what a mess. The solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. What do you do when a man who's been chained up his whole life to stopping hurting himself suddenly gets free by the love of God? You remember the man completely shackled? Nobody could healed like that. Okay, where's he going to go for tea then? Who's going to invite him round to the house? Who's going to trust that that's going to be okay? Every problem creates another problem. Think about the time some men broke through a roof to lower their lame friend of Jesus and the mess they left behind. Who was going to fix the roof? Who paid for it? Not really. Every problem solved creates another problem. You see, you can, 
God can do incredibly macros things and he just creates another problem. Think about the provision of fear, me and the boys. Wonderful provision to a problem. Created a whole lot of other problems. In the sense that I, you know, I thought I knew what it was to be married. I did. But it's completely different. So you have to go and what does this mean? What does this mean for us to live together? What, what does it mean for the... Just uh, did any of that get fixed miraculously? None of it. I mean it did because you were in it all. But do you understand me? You, the, the solving of a problem just creates another problem to be solved. What do you do when the love of God hits two people who love one another dearly? And they're in a long-term, stable relationship, but they're of the same gender. What do you do? What do you do when a person deeply loves Jesus and wants to serve him, but they feel like their body doesn't belong to them? What do you do? What do you do when the love of God hits a person? They have an incredible, radical encounter with the love of God, but they've spent their entire life almost residing at Her Majesty's pleasure. What do you do? Life's messy. If you really want the kingdom of God to come, it's going to get messier. And you're going to have to learn to get used to more mess. If you're after clean lines, clear delineated boxes, and the same structured response to the same hide line, you are going to be in trouble in these coming months and years. You're going to be in trouble. Because it is going to do your head in. If you want to see the kingdom of God come, if you want more than simple, cute answers, then we've got to embrace the mess. But in embracing the mess, we've got to work on solving our biggest problem. Because your biggest problem is not what you think it is. Your biggest problem is your ability to rest in him and allow his peace to flood your soul. That is your number one problem. And it should be the number one thing we're working on because this is the only problem that you can solve that does not lead to another problem that needs to be solved. It's the only problem. When you solve that problem, it doesn't lead to another problem. Every other problem leads to another problem. You see, we're still so transfixed and I just need this sign and I need that sign and I need the other sign and I need the other sign. Okay, yeah, but listen, as soon as that happens, it just creates a whole load more problems to solve. You are a problem solver. And you will solve it. But the biggest problem you've got to solve is your ability to rest in him and allow his peace to flood your soul. Everything I've taught you, Jesus says, everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. Peace which is in me will be in you. The answer is not finding a solution. Just think if you spent as much time praying about that rest as you do about the external problems. All that time you spend praying that God's going to fix this, fix that, fix the other, fix the other, sort this out, sort that out. And you spend all that time praying this verse, that the peace which is in him will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in him. You know what happens when you do that? A lot of those problems solve themselves. Because God starts working. Because you're at peace. Because you're not taking a storm into a storm and making it worse. Perhaps the best problem to solve then might be the problem of the lack of peace in you. It might be stilling of the storms in your heart. You see, Phil read it earlier. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Not whose mind is stayed on fixing all the problems. Not whose energy is all given to praying about the problems. Whose mind is stayed on you. 
Perhaps we need to focus on one storm and still in one storm above any other storm. Perhaps it's this problem we need to solve more than any other. And perhaps when we start to calm this storm, other storms will calm down. And even if they don't, we'll be able to sleep calmly anyway. Perhaps the challenge is instilling the storm on the inside of you. And every other storm comes into perspective. Now, I don't minimize the external storms. I don't minimize the external challenges. I don't say they're not real. They're very real. Very real. But they're always going to be there. They're always going to be there. It'll just be a different one next week. Sorry, but that's the reality of life. Even when this one big, massive one gets fixed, there's just going to be another one you're going to have to solve. But once, once you get calm in your heart, you never have to solve that one again. And you get through every other one a whole lot easier. I want to encourage you to focus on solving your greatest problem at the expense of all the other problems. Your ability to rest in him and allow his peace to flood your soul. It is the only way that I know, and I think probably the only real advice I've got to give you. I mean, there's lots of wisdom about how to deal with all the other storms and lots of things you can do, but eventually what you realize is you can use all the wisdom in the world and you can get all the wisdom in the world. But if you've not learned to still your own heart, you're still in the middle of a storm. Shall we pray? Let's just, you know the storm that's going on in your heart right now. And you know all the, you know the, you know the concerns about your parents, you know the concerns about the kids, you know your concerns about your health, you know the concerns about your finances, you know your concerns about your job, you know all them. But I just want you to just recognize that all, underneath all those storms is another storm of peace in your heart. Father, I want to thank you that you said very clearly that everything you taught us was so that the peace which is in you will be in us, that we may have great confidence as we rest in you. Lord, we recognize the storms on the outside of us. We recognize the challenges, the trouble, the sorrow. But Father, we also recognize peace, Lord, which is in us already because you were in us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, who is peace. And Lord, we are asking that that peace might be released more and more as we learn to rest in you. That we might focus on our biggest problem, on the greatest storm, and allowing you to still it.
bush. Calm down. We repeat your words to the storms in our heart, Father. And we thank you for your peace. We thank you for those we can walk with who can speak words of peace to us, who can speak words of calm, who have the insight and the wisdom to know what the real storm that needs dealing with is, Father. And for those of us, Lord, who've been running away from dealing with that storm, Father, we ask that you'd forgive us, Father. We want to deal with storms on each side of us so that we can calm storms everywhere we go and all the ones that we see.